This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. Win, lose or draw, McDelivery will always help bring home the free points. And speaking of points, order now on the McDonald's app and you'll earn reward points through every delivery. Order today, rewards tomorrow. You in? Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee in terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Turn it up because this big news is everyone's jam. Innova Go Health Urgent Care is opening centers in your neighborhood with a new modern look and comfortable feel. Whether you need it might be the flu or I think it's broken urgent care, you'll be able to visit trusted Innova Go Health Urgent Care providers nearby 365 days a year. Save your spot or rock and roll over to an Innova Go Health Urgent Care center in your neighborhood today. Click the banner to learn more. Hello and welcome to the Blues Focus podcast with me, your host, John Gray. And once again, many thanks for downloading the pod. Please remember, we've now got a uh, sort of our own website, bluesfocuspod.co.uk, where you can find all the previous issues, all the previous pods, so you can go back and, and have a listen to those at your leisure. Please subscribe so you never miss one going forward, because we've got obviously lots and lots of content happening at the moment. Uh, and today is no exception to that. So as ever, Tom Oxland joins me. Hi, Tom. Hiya. And we've obviously got a very special guest. Um, obviously, probably doesn't need you know too many introductions. A player that played for 200 times for Birmingham City over the years, over seven seasons indeed. And uh, Darren Purse, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. How's it going, John? How's it going, Tom? You okay? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, very, very well. Right, Darren, what, what I'd, um, I think what I'd like to do, uh, we've done this on quite a few pods, you just, I think, really sort of start from the beginning uh, with a lot of the, the players that we're sort of getting on the pod, just to really get an insight into, you know, it, obviously we're, we're all to, to understand and hear about your uh, experiences at Blues, but maybe before that, it's sort of how did you get your break and how did you get into the game? So do you want to give us a bit of an insight into that? Yeah, as a kid, I was lucky enough to play for a really good Sunday league side called Simrab, who have brought. Uh, there's so many players that have come through from from that sort of team. Not not just my age group, but age groups going forward um, and before me. Like the people like John Terry, you know Ashley Cole, um, obviously myself. Lee Bowie was in my team. Jason Tindall was in my team. So we we had um, we had some real good players. We used to win sort of loads of trophies and that as a youngster, um, and sort of probably. 13, 14, 15 years of age. I went around, did the sort of School of Excellences, which they were. They, they weren't called academies back then. They were called School of Excellences. So, obviously, did Arsenal, Tottenham, my own club, Millwall. Went around the, the houses a little bit. Never signed for anybody. And my dad wouldn't let me do that. And then at 16 years of age, admittedly, I was... You probably won't recognise it now, but I was part of Bright Lad at school. <laughs> Walked away with all my GCSEs. And at 16, I'd sort of, I was in a catch-22. Do I... Wanted to be a pilot, never sort of, I enjoyed my football, but never really wanted to, to go and play, sort of see it as a profession. And at 16 years of age, um, I had offers of sort of scholarships or apprenticeships at a couple of London clubs. And on Orient came to me dad and said, look, don't, don't let him stay on at school. We'll, uh, we'll take him on and come and train with the first team, play for the reserves, play for the youth team. We won't sign him on a, a scholarship, but at 17 years of age, We'll give him a professional contract. So wow. that was earning sort of 120 quid a week expenses with a, 
at Orient, which some of the pros weren't even earning, so I was so happy. And, um, and at 17, signed me, signed, me contract, uh, signed me professional contract, 17th birthday, and made me league debut three days later against Brighton. So it was a bit of a, a bit of a strange choice, but sort of one that I've probably thanked my dad for because he's sort of throughout my career, he's always been that person that I go to to for any sort of where, where I want to go in different directions and that. And he's been superb and he probably made the right decisions for me back in the day. Yeah, and, and obviously with that that first that first contract, obviously it, it sometimes for, for some players it, it, you either set in straight away or you go through lots and lots of clubs. I think obviously it seems like you served your apprenticeship really with with Leighton Orient and then moved on to, to Oxford. So how did that come around? What how did that move happen? Well, obviously o- Orient, I knew that obviously they were a club that was struggling for money. They were struggling on the pitch as well. So I think we got relegated in my first full season, which was which weren't great. And I think they were trying to cash in on me a little bit. I was there sort of a little jaw in the crown, if you know what I mean. I think Blackburn yeah. won the I think they won the league ninety four. And um Kenny Dalgleish was the manager. I think he put a couple of bids in for me. Glenn Hoddle was another one who put a bid in for me when he's Chelsea manager. And they just weren't quite enough. Um and then obviously Patsy Olin came in at Orient, new manager, and he I never really got on with him. And this there'll be a little trait there with a few managers throughout my career, but Never got on with him. He didn't rate me as a player, as a footballer, which is fine. And in the end, I got sold for a hundred grand to Oxford, which was probably yeah. the best I could have done because I was there for eighteen months. I think I played about seventy games, playing alongside people like Matty Elliott and Phil Gilchrist, two wow. really experienced halves that sort of had real good careers in the game and learned so much off some experienced footballers. Um, people like Les Robinson, I played he's even the right back. Just people that, that played sort of five, six hundred games in the game. Professional games never had sort of a, had a career in sort of the lower leagues, but just it, it sort of just le- taught me how to be a professional footballer and what you needed to be to be a professional footballer. Um, and then obviously the, the move to Birmingham came about on my twenty first birthday, which was uh, which was fantastic. Well, and, and with that, obviously you said you sort of went for a hundred grand when when it, you know they they sort of sold you to Oxford in those earlier bids. I mean, if if the likes of sort of Blackburn are coming in for you. Did, did you know if they did you ever get any sight of what that deal looked like, or was it very much they're interested and you didn't know anything else? Um, I, I think there were offers. I never really got told. I, <coughs> I was at that stage where I was starting to get an agent. Um, but I, I, throughout my career, whenever there was any interest, I just said to them, I don't, I don't want to know about it. All I want to do is concentrate on my football. Because at the end of the day, there's agents around and agents can look after your business, but you've got, you've got to do it when you cross that white line. An agent yeah. can't get you. Somewhere if you're if you can't if you can't hit the ball pass the ball or anything like that or defend or, or score goals is that agents are only as good as the player that they're marketing so I never really wanted to know about anything that was going on I just wanted to concentrate on my football um, so I think there were bids and probably a lot more a lot higher bids than what than what what I got sold for but I think at the moment in time when I was actually playing um, at Orient um, I think they they was looking for something like half a million pound and then obviously yeah. when in the came in. And I weren't playing. It was uh, it was easy for him to get hundred grand for me, and he could spend it elsewhere. So, from my point of view, I was just happy to get out of there and um, and move on with my career. Yeah, I suppose so, quickly on that kind of late and orient early part of your career, I saw that you had a loan spell to Finland. What was that like? Well, I've been I've been out and played in Finland twice, to be fair. So it's um, I, I, obviously I made my debut at seventeen um, in the February, uh, and it got to. April, May time, end of the season. And I think I'd played about 12 games, maybe 15 games, something like that. So 
Um, obviously, John Sitton and Chris Turner were the managers at the time. And they just said to me, look, we want you, you're going to be a bit part of our season next year. Um, we don't think it's right for you at this moment in time just to have six weeks off and, and don't do anything. We're going to send you over to, to play some football over in Finland. And their, their season runs from sort of March to, to November. So I, I flew out to Finland and played out there for, for two, two months. I was, I was out there for about eight weeks, played probably seven, eight games. It was just a... It was just nice for me to sort of grow up a little bit, spend a little bit of time away from home um, and obviously play, play a few games of football at a different level. And, yeah, uh, It worked for me because obviously when I came back, I think the, the next season, I went on and played sort of 40 games in, in the season. So it was, a, it was good for a 17, 18-year-old. Definitely. Yeah. And, and obviously just going in, as you mentioned, you got the, 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 the nod or the call from, from Birmingham uh, when you were at Oxford, so you know, was that an easy decision? Where again, were there were there other clubs in for you, or what, where where was your head at then? Because obviously, as you said, still sort of twenty one or just twenty one. So what? How, yeah. how was? How did that play out? It was an easy decision, really. Obviously, Oxford at the time were in the championship, um, and to be fair, I think I came up. We played at St Andrews, um, and I played a, as a right wing back <laughs> against Martin Granger um, when. <laughs> Was, uh, was in charge. So that was an experience playing against Grange. Obviously, we went on to, to be good friends and still are good friends. But, um, yeah, so it, it was an easy decision. Do you know, I, at least I love playing for Oxford, but you look at the size of Oxford and you look at the size, and obviously I work at Oxford at the minute, but you look at the size of Oxford and Birmingham and it was just, yeah, it was a no-brainer to do it. And obviously there was other interest. Dennis Smith was the my manager at Oxford and um, he'd just gone to West Brom. And Dennis oh, yeah. Smith was the best manager I've played under by a million miles. Um, and I, I, obviously I signed for West Brom in the February. I think in the March time he went to, he, he, he signed at West Brom. And I remember him ringing me saying, you've moved a month too early. I would have, I would have come and got you at West Brom. Um, but to be fair, it was, um, it was the right decision to coach Blues because as you said, I had sort of seven, eight great seasons at the club. And um, yeah, it's just an amazing place to play football. And the yeah, fans are superb and just loved every minute of my time there. Just on that one with with Dennis, you know, you alluded earlier to you're not getting on with the manager, and maybe that was a, a trait in, in, at times going through your career. What what made him different for you? Why why was that sort of quite definite? He was the best. What made him different? Um, listen, he was a manager. A lot of a lot of managers nowadays are coaches. They're always on the training field. He wasn't. You know, he was uh, just obviously as as a man, he was sort of quite quiet, unassuming. Um, but at times he could absolutely lose it in the dressing room and you wouldn't want to mess with him. He had a nose like that, he had scars all over. He was a scrap. He's really, uh, but just a real, just a, such a nice bloke and always had your best, your best wishes or your, your, your career at heart. Um, and just what he did with a group of players, as I said, that were just ultimate professionals, but were average footballers mm. to get their championship sort of just outside the playoffs with, the budget that he had about at Oxford and and what he did at the club was was just brilliant, you know. And I just got a lot of time for him, and um, yeah, he, he was just fantastic what he did with that club at that time. Brilliant. And when you obviously you came into Blues, Trev uh, Trevor Francis, manager. So how, how what was your first impressions when when you came into the club? Um, first impressions, it was a strange. Obviously, I met Trevor. Um, we met at a restaurant called Simpsons in in Kenilworth at the time. Um, and obviously sat down with him. Helen, obviously, got, God rest her, obviously passed away now, but she was a lovely lady. 
And I think she made Trevor Francis who he was, the, the persona that he was. She was she was brilliant just sitting down, the dad, me, and obviously the, and them two just sitting down, just talking about what they wanted to do with the club. And he just had a real vision of and, and at the club at his heart, you know, he was he loved blues. And so it's just as I said, once I sp- after speaking to him, it was easy just to just to make that decision to sign for Birmingham. And I remember the first going up to actually sign the contract up at the club. I remember going down the old main stand and I met the, uh, the, met the kit man was the first man I, knew, I met and um, pulled up, young lad, 21 years of age, with my agent, knocking on the kit door. Uh, yeah, looking for, obviously, Trevor Francis trying to get in. He was like, who are you? <laughs> first signing for the club, he went, no, nah, I'm not letting you in here. He just shut the door on me and walked up. <laughs> I was like, I've got to sign for this club. And in the end, obviously, the agent rung the, rung the club, got in and, uh, and signed the club. It was, uh, it was strange. It was... Uh, it could quite easily have not have happened with uh, if me first impressions of the kit man and that. But to be fair, he was, he was good as gold once I was in. But yeah, it was uh, it was strange. But yeah, great club. Well, was you remember from the the, the first because I mean, like you say, we went, when Trev came in, I mean, it, you know, just the icon of the club. And I wouldn't say I'm a hiding to nothing, but given what I'd gone before him, it's probably probably fair to to say that. But obviously, he definitely did, and he had a vision, and he was backed. So. What's your memories, maybe the first couple of seasons in the, in the Championship, any out sort of standing games or how the club developed or players? Um, first, my, I remember my first game was we played Berry at home on a Tuesday night and I played it right back. And um, to be fair, how I ever played for Birmingham again, I'll never know because I was <laughs> terrible. I mean, we, we ended up losing the game 3-1. And um, yeah, it was just uh, it was a real baptism of fire. You know, little things just... I mean, when you when you go to clubs like you used to play in sort of front of five, six, seven thousand, which I was at Oxford and Orient, and then you go to a club where there's 25,000 on a Tuesday night, and there's that just that extra little bit of pressure on you. And I think as a 21 year old, especially playing out of position as well, playing as a right back, um, I think just sort of the occasion and the night got to me a little bit. And we, as I said, we got beat three one, and then it took me probably two, three months and towards the end of that season to actually get back into the side again. So yeah. that was tough. Um, and I think if anybody watched me on that first game, I think they'd have said, how the hell was this bloke? Uh, have we paid nearly a million pounds for this young kid? And, uh, and I was lucky enough, obviously, to go and play sort of over 200 games, which was uh, which was brilliant. But yeah, it was a real baptism of fire, the first game. Uh, but going on to obviously the, the first couple of seasons, it was just like heartbreak a little bit because every year we sort of got to the playoffs Missed out on the playoffs, whether or not sort of um, got getting beat 4 0 at home by Barnsley. Obviously, the Preston debacle when we obviously any other season would have been promoted because on away goals and we end up yeah. losing on is. So, obviously, sort of to miss out on the in the playoffs for, for three years on the spin was was really tough. But obviously, I think it makes it all the sweeter when we when you do actually get promoted at the fourth time of asking. Yeah. Uh, when you talk about that, that Preston game and you know, you know extra in my memory that's for certain I think on that penalty shootout we were shooting into towards their sort of fans weren't we if memory serves yeah. and it was uh, that will lead me on to another question in a minute do, do you think that played a big part in I guess what what we did how how we sort of I don't know I wouldn't say we bottled it but you know just that extra pressure do you think that was a sort of a key factor yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it didn't help, obviously, because at one stage we were all sitting in the dressing room at the end of the game. You know, Trevor, Trevor had actually brought us all off the pitch and into the dressing room because I think there'd actually been an agreement before the game that the penalties would be because uh, yeah. I think at the, 
at the time there was a, an open end. They were building yeah. the stand behind the goal. And I think that the agreement before the game was to go there. But I think the police then said, look, if we have it at that end, you'll end up with the fans behind that goal coming onto the pitch because they wanted the closer view. And I think it was actually the police that made the decision. And I think that's what right. Trevor Franco sort of peed off about a little bit. He sort of the, the, the did it. So I, I don't know. Penalty is always a lottery anyway. And I, I, I wouldn't say that the reason I missed the penalty was the, 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 the width of a goalpost. It wasn't the... Um, wasn't the fact that I've been stood around for half an hour. So I, I would never blame us losing on whatever end you shoot at. I think that's a it's, it's, it's a it's a bad it's a poor argument. But it was just it wasn't to be. And as I said, it just sort of when we, when you wait four years, it just makes the getting promoted that little bit sweeter. Yeah, <laughs> and and you know as you said, we were knocking on the door every season. Had some you know I just had a, a I think and again we'll move on to the the, the side that we've got at the moment that. You know some bloody good footballers in that in those sort of teams, and I think probably were good enough to go up. It was just for whatever reason it didn't happen, and it ultimately meant that uh, you know it what it, it wasn't to be under Trev. But obviously Trev did have, I guess, his sort of moment in the in the sun, I suppose, with Blues, albeit it, it, it didn't end the way we wanted to. What do you remember about the uh, the cup run? Um, well, obviously when we got to the final, what do you what do you remember about those those nights and Andrews? With regards to that side that we had, it was listen. Trevor had done unbelievable, and that's what he was good at. I don't think he was a great man, man to man manager, but mm. to pick a player and know a player, I think he was really good at it. And to put that squad of players together was uh, was excellent. And I think sometimes to get promoted, you just need that little bit of luck, yeah. you know. And I think, I think we used all of our luck probably a little bit, probably in the cup games, you know. And you talk about the Wembley Cup final and and, and getting there. Yesterday it popped up on my on my Twitter and it popped up on Facebook and that the um the semi final against Ipswich and yeah, today, yeah. that is the best game of football I've ever played in a bar in sort of cup finals and that you yeah. know the the atmosphere that night was just phenomenal you just could not you could not sort of put that in a jar pocket it and bring it out. Yeah. you I, I know we're being harsh here I don't think it'll happen at Blues for the foreseeable future, you know, because I think it was just a collective of the fans and how good they were, the players that we had on the on the field. And I don't think nowadays players have a relationship with fans anymore. You know, they might have, they might speak to them over Twitter or social media, but nowadays player, fans can't be at the ground before the game and meet up with the players and have a little chat with them, you know, mm. and, and years ago, and I think that's why the players back then were so relationship that, that, that you could build relationships with them. I'd stand outside after a game and chat to people for half an hour. I'd get yeah. to the game block and it'd take me half an hour to get into the changing room because you chat there, you had friends like that were fans that you'd, you'd meet up with after a game and have a drink with. Or And I've still got fan, friends of, of mine that are Blues fans that I play golf with from my time there. You know, we keep in touch, send Christmas cards and... So it was just a real family atmosphere, and I don't think you can. I don't think you, you can do that with, with the way the game is at this moment. No, definitely. I mean, I was. Um, I managed to get a ticket in the well. What was the railway bottom right of the railway, which was like the view was absolutely shocking. I could hardly see anything, but it was yeah. utter carnage. I mean, it was. I'm, I'm with you. As far, I mean, even some of the European games, the, the, the Blues that were amazing, but. 
that is without doubt the best atmosphere that I've ever ever witnessed in the ground. It was. I was going to say the celebrations of that Johnson goal, nuts. I've, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Saying that ever. Tonight, obviously going two 0 up, and that horse with his finishes was superb. But just like the pitch was, like, imagine oh, no. playing that nowadays. You know, it was like it was just terrible. And um, yeah, it was just like let's say going two 0 up, and then straight away they made it two one, and they were going through. It was just. Such a topsy-turvy night. And I think it sort of, I think it just gave us as players the belief that we were good enough to, to mix it with Premier League teams. And, and, uh, and I think it helped us, obviously, when we did play in the final. But it was, uh, yeah, that, that, that night was brilliant. But go, uh, the final was, was just an unbelievable atmosphere. I think I was 24 at the time. Obviously, just little things like that you remember from the days, walking out and let me entertain you. Robbie Williams was blasting out and everything. You know, obviously Sven Goran Eriksson was the was the um, the guest of honour, and listening to keep right on from the thirty odd thousand Birmingham fans, it was just a just a great great occasion, and just one that you'll never ever forget as a footballer. And just on that game, um, I somehow managed to make it on time because I think it was the first. I think it was the first final in the millennium. Yeah, it because was, obviously yeah. Wembley was getting. Uh, knocked down and, and there was like thousands of Blues fans that just couldn't get in from the M4 it was an absolute nightmare yeah. and yeah I, I just think that, that that whole atmosphere again was, was phenomenal what what are your memories of, of the game itself um, I, I know the game, that sorry the game is, it, was, it was quite a good game to be fair we we easily held our own you know against the, the brilliant Liverpool side you look at some of the names that are in that side um, but yeah that just just that it's hard, obviously, as a footballer, and I dropped down and played non-league football towards the end of my career for five years, and you hear more playing in front of 400 people than you do playing in front of 80,000. Yeah. Now, when you're playing that game, your, your sole purpose or your sole, all your thoughts are just concentrating on what's going on in the game. You don't, you don't worry about what, what the fans are like, what the crowd are like. As much as they they do give you that extra incentive when they're singing and cheering you on, you are just totally totally focused on the game. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just enjoying a game of football really, and it was it was a really good game, you know. And that, that's probably the the biggest thing. Um, and obviously, that, lucky enough to to have probably my best moment in a in a football <laughs> shirt at the end of it, really. Yeah. So, how come you're on pens? Because I. I know that from memory, I think you've obviously you'd been sort of penalty taker, but just on obviously in that game, you look at like you got, I think Andy Johnson was on the pitch and, you know, it's got a lot of, lot of what you'd probably class as, you know, the attacking players take, that, that would take pens. And, and obviously you got the nod. Was that something that you'd been on them all season or? I'd always take a penalty from, from when I was a kid. And like, like when I was at Oxford and Orient, I'd, I'd scored a couple of penalties at Orient. When I was at Oxford, I scored a couple of penalty shootouts to be playing. So I've always taken penalties. Um, and obviously, I think Martin O'Connell was on him and Marcelo. Yeah. And I, actually, one game just before, and Marcelo was on, a, was on the penalty. He missed it. And as he missed it, the referee said, it's got to be taken again. I, I can't remember the game. It's got to be taken again. And I just walked over to him. I said, I'm taking this. And I picked <laughs> the ball down and scored. And I think from then, I was just, I was on penalties. I think there was only a few weeks before the, the World Cup final. And obviously, I think if Martin O'Connor had been on the pitch, I don't know if he had, obviously, captain's prerogative. I don't know if he said, sod off, Percy, I'm taking this. But <laughs> it, it just felt natural. I knew I, I knew I was in it. And I, the ball was there. I picked the ball up. 
and obviously Martin O'Connor and Grange were both down. And I just, it's, it's surreal. Like when I think back about it, it's surreal where obviously there's 80,000 fans, obviously 22 players and the dugout and the managers in the dugout. And I found like a, just a, a moment of like tranquility in the middle of the stadium with everything going on. I had the ball under my arm and I was stood like on the halfway line. Everybody was up there by the penalty box and making sure everyone was all right. And I just stood there on my own and just sort of looked around and thought, wow. And, and that was it. It was like surreal. And then I see the, the couple of minutes passed, Martin went off and I just knew I was going to score. For I just knew I was going to score and just lucky enough. It ended up in the back of the net, and it was—it's uh, a memory that I'll never ever forget. Well, I mean, in the end, I think I think we we were obviously massively biased, but robbed by a, 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 the most blatant sort of hack down. I think Ellery was was the ref, wasn't he? And um, yeah, but for, for... He, he, on the on the grand scheme of the games, or well, Martin O'Connor played the extra time, and he, he was on one leg, you know. So we played yeah. extra time, that's ten men, and then we had the AJ like opportunity it should have been a penalty but Brian Hughes had a brilliant effort that Vesterville got back and tipped around the post yeah we were like the the, the only team in extra time that was going to go on and win it yeah you know and that showed you the belief and the the sort of characters that we had in that in that dressing room at that moment in time and um yeah it's just obviously I, I was disappointed to, to lose it had been brilliant to win but um I think we just did did ourselves proud did everybody proud and it was, um, yeah, it was just unfortunate we couldn't get a walk away with the winner's medal rather than the runners-up one. No, absolutely. And I suppose that that sort of signalled really, I guess, the beginning of the end for, for for Trev as gaffer. You know, it wasn't long after that that he moved on. So, obviously, Brucey comes in. What 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 were your first impressions? Was was there a major sort of difference in in strategy in how we approached the game? What what was the difference for you? Uh, not a lot, really. I don't, I don't, I don't know. But Brucey sort of, he made training really enjoyable. You know, him and Mark Bowen was his coach, and we'd do boxes every day. You know, five O's like, and we'd have like a an English team and a foreign team on a Friday morning, and we'd have like. He <laughs> just made it enjoyable for some reason, and um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there was too much difference. I don't think there was that much difference in the person, like the personnel. You know, yeah. Every, very much very similar to, to under Trevor's era but we just managed to get over the line and um, I, I, I got on well with Brucey but I was obviously brought in to replace him as a player Yeah, I think I signed in February Brucey left that summer um, and obviously I don't know if in the back of his mind he, he had that I don't know but we, so we, we did get on but yeah. I, I ever, he ever thought I was going to be his main centre half and I I think sort of after, not the next season, the season after I got a little ankle injury. I was supposed to be out for a couple of weeks and I was out for for three months and he went and bought obviously Kenny Cunningham and Matty Upson and I think that was sort of the, the beginning of the end for me and my, my time at Blues. So disappointing from that point of view, but obviously lucky enough to, to have the, the career that I had or the, the played a number of games I did for the club. Yeah, and what was the, I think from, from your point of view, the... Um... Obviously, the transition from from championship, you'd, you'd spent obviously lion's share of your, of your career at that level, and yeah, he said, you know, we, we massively held our own against Liverpool in the cup final. But that sort of week on week, sort of, um, I guess, upgrade. What, ha, was that an immediate thing for you? Did you did you notice the difference, or you know, was yeah. it sort of you sort of stepped up? 
people people talk about the pace of the Premier League and the ball, the, the way they move the ball, and that it's all slow. It's a slow build up, but the actual pace in the Premier League is like up a notch from the Championship. I, don't, I was lucky. I played in the Championship sort of most probably had fifteen seasons in the in the Championship, yeah. and to be fair, that was my that was probably my level. You know, I could do that week in, week out. I could play 46 games a season, barring getting sent off or suspended, which I got quite a lot. Um, and, and that was... But once you stepped up to the Premier League, it's a whole different level of professionalism, athleticism. The game is so much quicker. The players are so much quicker. And if you make a mistake in the Premier League, you get punished for it. If you make a mistake yeah. in the... Or you can make two or three and get away with it. And that, that was the, the, the biggest difference for me, just like the concentration levels. And you just had to be on it all the time. And um, as I, I obviously looking back, I was lucky enough to play in the Premier League. I don't know if I'd have been able to play in the Premier League nowadays because I was never, I was, listen, I was professional. I looked after myself, but I was never the fittest person in the world. And nowadays you have to be an athlete to play in the Premier League. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, from from my point of view, you know, watching you know, some of the stuff that's been going on the last couple of days with, with certainly with Liverpool and centre-halves, I personally think there's a, they, the, the art of, <clears throat> like yourself, a proper, you know, no-nonsense no centre-half. I, I, I still think there's a, a big part in the game for that. I, you know, it I does frustrate me massively where, you know, if the first sort of thing that managers are looking for from a centre-half is... You know, can he do a Cruyff turn in his own area? It's I, I don't, you know, for me, but I'm an old bloke, you know, it's probably my generation. But no, I, I think from my point of view, you always, you, you're a fantastic player for Blues, so consistent. And in that first season in the Prem, you know, we, we, we didn't struggle. We did not struggle. And um, so, one, so do you uh, think... One man, one man did that though. Yeah, not... he, he, was, he was half decent. I was going to come on to that. So yeah. what was he like? <laughs> No, no, obviously, Christoph de Gaia, mate, was the best player a million miles I ever played with. You know, he was he was like he was an enigma, if you know what I mean. And obviously, how, how Brucey got him in for when he did um, was brilliant. And it, listen, he kept—I'd say—he kept us up single-handedly. Obviously, we just we just became hard to beat, and we just get him the ball, and he'd create something for you. And the players that he brought the best out of people like Jeff Horsfield, you know, and people like yeah. that. Horst was a bog standard running the mill hod carrier of a centre forward, but he made Horst a player like the, a, a brilliant player. And, and Horst had, listen, he'd openly admit that, you know, and it, yeah, he just he just sort of upped the level for, for us as a team. And that that six months, the first season we was in the Premier League, he was phenomenal. I never really, I got on okay with him. I was always one of them, I was sort of very sort of old school in the way. If you put a, if you put a shift in for the team, I'll back you 100%. Once you yeah. stop doing that, then I'll have a word with you. And, that, and that's what the first six months, he was brilliant, kept us up. Then he signed a two-year deal, on a two-year contract on fortunes compared to what everybody else was on. Yeah. And I remember pre-season, he was coming back. He came back for a couple of days, a couple of days of pre-season. And then he went back to France to play in a testimonial or something like that. And he didn't come back for two weeks. And that sort of... That didn't sit right with me as a as a footballer, and and we, we had a falling out at Everton, a, Everton at home. We beat them three one. It was a night game, and we were three one up. Two couple of minutes to go, and he never tracked a runner, and that was it. I just lost it with him on the 
on the pitch, called him all the names under the sun. And he sort of came back at me and said, I won the World Cup, man. Fisty Cups. In the tunnel, it kicked off. I, I, me, I had, I think I had Grange and that on my back and he had people like Olivier Tebilly and Alou Cisse backing him up. And it kicked off in the tunnel. And I think after that, it sort of, it never, it, yeah, he just, his professionalism went after the first six months for me. But that doesn't do, that doesn't take away from the respect I've got for him as a footballer and what he did for, for the team and the club over that six months because he was phenomenal. No, I mean, I would, Absolutely, absolutely agree with that. I mean, it, I haven't sort of seen many like that, you know, Trev and maybe Frank Worthington, but, you know, those sort of just absolute geniuses, we were definitely blessed to have him for that time. So, yeah. so when, when you, I, I guess, to the sort of the season after after that, um, it, was, it was starting to come to the end of your, your career with Blue. So did you get, so, you know, I know you said uh, Kenny Cunningham came in and, and Matty Upson, so, so was I guess the writing was on the wall, and were you looking sort of at that point? Yeah, a little bit. I, 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 had, I, had, I think I had a year left on my contract, and I think Bruce he had, he had he had a quiet word with me and said, obviously, look, you're not getting enough game time." And to, and West Brom came. West Brom were putting an offer for me, and I was I had a year left, and I was just debating what to do. And um, Gary Megson was the manager at the time, and. I, I, that, I just felt like I needed a change. You know, I said, I've been at the club. I, I'd love to have been there for the, got a testimonial and been there for 10 years, but it just felt like for me and my career, I think I was 27. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just needed a change. And West Brom had just got promoted to the Premier League again. Um, and it was just a, it was just a good move for me at that moment in time to, to go and move. I didn't have to move the family or anything like that. I could just move over. Um, and to be fair, Gary Megson was brilliant with me. He made me captain when I first moved, went in there straight away. Um, and yeah, it, it, I say it worked out all right, but for six months it was brilliant. And then Gary Megson got the sack, and then it all went a bit wrong. And obviously, they went falling out with managers and people that you don't really sort of never got on with. Brian Robson came in and was manager and never see eye to eye with him at all. And he, he never rated me as a footballer, and, and that was it. It was, it was time to move on from West Brom. And and then sort of I guess the move to to Cardiff that sort of came came thereafter and again yeah. do, you, do you just get a good vibe about the place? Yeah, I was always I never wanted to sit around and do nothing. I never wanted to sit around and play reserve team football. All I wanted to do was play as many football games, as many first team games, professional games as I could at the highest level that I could. And throughout my career, that's all I wanted to do. It was never about money or anything like. When I left West Brom, I had two years left on my contract. I could have sat there and picked up. I was on some quite good dough, to be fair, at the time. But I ended up dropping to, to, to... I went down and met with Dave Jones at Cardiff. I ended up dropping, I don't say half my money, but I was on sort of 60% of what I was on. And I could have sat and picked that up at West Brom. And I didn't. I moved on. I, I, I took the decision to move to Cardiff. And as much as I loved my... My time at Blues was brilliant, you know. And yeah, my time at Cardiff doesn't quite match up to it. But as a football club and as a place to live, as in Cardiff, it was brilliant. I spent four years there and loved every minute of it. So, and, and it's, for the sake of money and all that, it was, a, it was a brilliant move for me at the time. I was 28. I went in as captain. Um, I, I, I was given that thing, we're going to move into a new stadium in a couple of years, take this club forward. And I think I'll probably, I, I'm hoping I may played a massive part in 
taking that club from a from a sort of League One lower end Championship club into a, the Premier League club that it, that it managed to become sort of within six years. So it was a, it was just a brilliant move for me from a personal point of view and as a professional point of view on the pitch. So Darren, really interesting that that point you made about obviously being on a decent lump at, at Albion and could have sort of, I guess, as you said, just wind your, your contract down. Do you ever get the opportunity to speak to players now where whether they're in that sort of quandary? Because, again, what's happened over the last couple of days, I think he's a really, maybe look at Nesbitt up in, in, in Hibernian, that we obviously were very close to signing him. And do you, do, you, do you manage to maybe give people that sort of advice? Because I think it's, A, refreshing to hear, and B, I don't really see that happening these days. Um, I, I, obviously, I work at yeah. Oxford. I, I work in the academy. So um, I try and give as, as, as much advice that I would do to the to youngsters at the club there. The big thing that I would obviously say to lads in, in these professional sort of under-21s, under-23s is, rather than go and play 20 under-21 games in a season, go and, go and spend a season on loan somewhere. Yeah. You know, there's lads on sort of thousands of pounds a week at Chelsea's under 21s, right? Has got nowhere near the opportunity or nowhere near the chance of playing in Chelsea's first team. And it's not just Chelsea, there's other yeah. clubs, you know. But we'll just sit there, play on a Wednesday afternoon in the under 21s and just join in and just go and train rather than going out, drop into League Two or League One or wherever, wherever your level is drop into them leagues, go and play for six months. Because I don't think there's anything like playing for three points on a Saturday afternoon or a Tuesday night and you're with a group of lads that are fighting for exactly the same thing. I just I think it gives you an extra incentive in, in how to win football matches and how to develop your game. And I don't think enough youngsters do that now. I think and what happens, they get to 21, 22 years of age, they get released from these clubs They've got big ideas that they're, they're a championship or they're a Premier League footballer and they drop down to League One, League Two and they just can't handle what the football's like and the standard of football, the facilities. They just can't handle what it's like and they're 22, 23 years of age and they're unemployed because they can't find a football club. You know, and that's the harsh realities of football and I think a lot of these youngsters at these big professional, at these big Premier League academies have got to go and find their level when they're sort of 21 years of age rather than still sitting there playing under 21s football. Yeah, I'm, I, I, yeah I t- totally agree with that. And I think that, that's probably a, a decent segue into, I guess, what, what's happened um, over, over recent sort of weeks at Blues. So, I mean, there's one lad in particular that we've signed from, from Manchester City. And I think he's only 18 or 19. Um, yeah. And I think he's been quite brave, to be honest. I, I think he probably could have done exactly what you've said. So, what what what's your sort of a? I don't know whether you've kept relatively close tabs on it. But what what's your view about? I guess the business that we've done in the transfer window. Um, I, I think it's okay. I, I, I don't I don't think it's pulling up trees. I don't think we're. I don't think they're going to go and change the season dramatically. Obviously, we've taken a couple of risks, as you said, with the lad from Man City, Raheem Harper's a risk. You know, coming from West Brom to 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 Birmingham, he's a young lad. Um, he's going to make mistakes, but. Hopefully, and I think it's one thing we have been missing is that energy in midfield, you know, and, and in wide areas. And I think it's one, he might be that person that does that. Watching him for 
20 minutes the other day. I don't know if he is or not. You know, he's going to have yeah. to give him a little run in the side. But, yeah, who knows? The, the, the signers we've made and the money we're paying, we're taking risks on players. And that's just the, the, the nature of where Blues are at this moment in time. And hopefully one of the risks pays off. And uh, yeah. hopefully we'll be looking up for the rest of the season rather than looking over our shoulder. What do you think of like the uh, the new signing? Because obviously we needed a striker desperately and we brought in Sam Cosgrove as possibly that replacement. But from the outside looking in, it kind of looked like a replacement for Juki and we're still missing that kind of Adams replacement that kind of was going to be uh, Nisbet if it came off. But it yeah. didn't in the end. So what, what's your thoughts on Cosgrove? Uh, Juki going off to Huddersfield, talk about going to Middlesbrough, Cardiff. There's a few rumours about him going any, uh, elsewhere as well. Listen, for me, if it was me, I'd have gone and bought Jordan. I'd have gone and got Jordan Rhodes from Sheffield Wednesday. You know, mm. he's a proven or at the level. You know, and I, I've, wherever I've watched him play, I think he's a great player. You know, I think he's a brilliant. He's a good championship striker, and I think that's what you need. Someone that's proven at the level, give him a fresh, a fresh lease of life um, at the age that he is. I think he had maybe been the one that I'd have maybe gone for, but. As you said, bringing people down from from um, from Scotland is is always a risk. You know, we had in a Cardiff. We brought. I'm trying to think who it was um, who we brought down, and he worked out really well. Scored some goals for us, and um, ended up getting a move to Villa and, and, and Fulham. I think he moved on to Ross McCormack. Oh yeah, you know. So obviously, bringing a bringing a player down does work. You know, but obviously, you are taking a little bit of a risk, and I listen. I hope that. I don't, would never speak ill of someone. I always take people on the way that you, the way that they are, when you see them. And I'm hoping Sam Cosgrove will be a player that, that goes and scores some goals for Blues. I was going to say, I know you don't fancy him to score tonight, judging from your Blues picks selection. I, I, I don't think he'll start. The reason I did, I don't think he'll start tonight. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. So that's that was my only my only thinking behind that. But as I said, I've never seen the lad play before, so I, I, I always hold judgment on. On a player until you've seen him, and and then I'll give my honest opinion on play uh, on what what I think of him. Yeah, that's fair enough. And what and what were your thoughts? I've I've been yeah toys out the pram to be honest. What was your thoughts on Kifton Bell going? Um, I think it's the right decision. He was he was up he's out of contract in the summer. Um, I think he he frees a bit of he frees wages to bring somebody else in. Uh, Sunjic does pretty much the same job. Um. So I, I quite like the two of them playing together, to be fair. Mm. Um, you, you played the two of them together. I think you, you can give sort of a bit more free licence to, to Bella and Sanchez and, and the players up there. I, mean, I think if you played them two in there, you could play you could play like a 4-4-2 and play with two centre-forwards. So yeah. you could play with or Cosgrove and Hogan or whoever you wanted to do. But the big, the big thing, I'd, I'd like to see Bella and, and Sanchez change wings. Honestly, John Listen, I, I think the reason they play where they are, I think Sanchez just likes to cut back on his left foot because he hasn't got the pace to, to beat someone down the outside. You know, yeah. but I look in my day, people like Stan Lazaridis, John McCarthy as wide players. You couldn't wish as a centre forward to have two better wingers. And I, I'm not, I wouldn't want to put Bella and Sanchez in, in their league, but if you could get two players like that and you've, and you've got Jukovic and Cosgrove, Jukovic and Hogan in the middle, Gives you a great foundation to go and to go and score some goals. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. As Tom said, I mean, I 
I don't know. I, I just don't understand because you know St Andrews is narrow at the best of times. As from a, you know the pitch is just it's not the biggest. And if you've then got your you know your right winger that's on his left peg and he's only going to cut in, it's the knock on effect of him coming in and then Colin having to overlap all the time. And then we're basically playing three at the back. I, yeah, I, 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 I don't get it. We haven't got. You look at Matt Collan and Pedersen, Collan and Fred, they're not overlapping fullbacks, are they? No. You know, hitting their fullbacks, they'll do their job for you. I know Colin Maxine tries to get forward as, as much as he can. If you've got wingers that come inside and, they, and you're playing with two high fullbacks, then great, by all means, do it. But I just don't think it suits the way that Blues play at this moment in time. You know, I see the way things are going and the way, if it's me, I'd obviously sit with Sunjish in the middle. I'd, I'd give Gary Gardner a run. Yeah. I like him in the middle of the park. He breaks through lines. He runs with a ball. He's combative when he needs to be. You know, he's a threat in the opposition's box. I just don't think he's been given a chance recently. And there's all there's things that I would change as a, a look at it from where I am, but I don't see, you don't see what's going on every day. You don't see what the, you, you don't know the players personally from and how they are around the dressing room. Um, but one good thing I, I like, I, I think George Friend is, has been a brilliant signing. Oh, yeah, yeah know, absolutely. I think he's been superb playing as, as a, as a centre half or a left back. I think he's been probably one of the highlights of the season so far. Definitely. And I, I, I just think on that, what, what again, it's a bit of a, a head scratcher that they've had 10 days without playing. We, we played against Cov. And to your point, George Friend, you know, for me, definitely the most consistent player of the season. And he's on the bench. And you're like, well, if he's not fit, don't put him in the squad. And if he is fit, for Christ's sake, put him on the pitch. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, I know, I know it's like San Jose as well. I don't think San Jose is just in the half. <clears throat> no. no. Obviously, I'm lucky enough to play. He gets sucked out of position too many times. He gets sucked out and then the ball, there's always space in behind. And I think in in games gone by, I know Preston, the lad was offside a lot, but he was always playing on people's shoulders. And if you've got like that, and I think tonight against against Wickham, it might be a little bit different because you've got Bayouac and Fenmore up there. He's not going to go in behind you. But um, Moronovia. There's always that. (laughs) <clears throat> yeah, and and I think it was the same against Blackburn as well. Um, and and I think you know with with San Jose, maybe he could he could come into the middle of the park, and and George could come over and and play centre half with Harley Dean. I think he I think Harley Dean would be better for having somebody like George Friend next to him. And Pedersen, yeah. like you said, he's a he's a seven out of ten. You know, he's not gonna he's not gonna kill you going for you know he's not gonna kill the opposition going forward, but he's not really gonna cost you too much and I just think that it, as I said when you do the commentary obviously it's Blues TV so it's massively biased anyway but it's really good to hear what you say because I think you do reflect what we're all like shaking the TV to say for Christ's sake just do it I guess I, I, I try to be as honest <clears> as I can obviously I, I do BBC West Midlands as well which is a little bit different for me because I can actually say what I want to say as well. So, <laughs> it, um, it, it, I, I, listen, I enjoy the commentary stuff. I'd love to take it a little bit further if I could, if the opportunity arose. But um, it is good. You, you have to be a little bit biased because, obviously, the people that you, you, your, your audience is more often than not Blues fans, you know? And yeah. They want to they wanna see what your opinion is and, and what I would do as a, as a like, if I was in, if I was in charge, if I was doing that and, um, yeah, but it's just trying to be as honest as you can. Try not to fluff it up. 
I don't understand when people say things for the sake of saying it. I think the blues fans that are listening want to listen to what your opinion is and be honest with it. If somebody yeah. don't like and deal with it, it's, a, it's yeah. football of your opinion. And, and sort of obviously you're back at Oxford now, sort of involved with the, the youth team, as you said earlier. So what, what, I mean, is it, so you said sort of alluded to maybe media work or now you're back to, you know, doing coaching. What, what in an ideal world, what does the future look like for you? Um, I'm, I'm going to manage England by the, by the time I'm 60. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why no, not? My dream as a player was always to, to play for England. I got in a, to a couple of provisional squads as a young, as a, when I was at Blues. Um, but never sort of actually made that uh, play for the under 21s. And it, listen, you set your dreams, you set your bars high, and that's, that's what I'd love to manage England at some stage. I want to be a manager, but for for young for young for young men, sort of just finished, I don't, just don't get the opportunity. You know, I know I'm going to be good at it. I know I, I, I enjoy my coach, you know, but I'm not a, I'm not a coach. I'm a manager. I want to I want to yeah. go and manage, want to go and manage teams. I want to manage. Budgets. I want to go and manage the, the the players you're bringing in. I'll let somebody else do the coaching on the pitch for me. I'll step out and do. But I will be a manager. I will be a success. But at this moment in time, it's just getting that opportunity and the right club to do that. And um, we'll see where we go. Like the, the little things. Like obviously, I applied for the job at Birmingham uh, about three months ago for the under 18s when Robbo left. Okay. And, uh, got got a first interview, but never got sort of never got an interview after that. So. Obviously, just like stepping stones to try and be where, try and get sort of get in the game as much as you can, and yeah, just. But the the, the target is to be sort of to be a manager, manage. I'd love to manage Birmingham at some stage, but it's about getting the the opportunity, getting the experience under your belt to to do that, so that when you do get the chance, you can give it the best the best the best run at it that you can. I know, like towards the end of your career, you obviously played. Uh, for quite a few lower league teams um, I mean obviously you probably have links there do you reckon you'd maybe be able to start from scratch I suppose um, obviously when I finished playing at Enfield I took the opportunity to cut, to go and coach at Oxford in the academy and I think that's the way through, forward for me yeah. I, I, I don't see myself managing sort of conference south or sort of lower than that, Ryman, Prem, Midlands. It's it's not a level that I know. Obviously, I was like, I played in it for yeah. four years. I don't understand that the players are hard from a professional point of view. Um, so I'd like to get the opportunity in sort of the National League somewhere if I could. Yeah. Um, or a good yeah. big South <laughs> that train most days and, and sort of build your experience up from there. But it's just obviously you apply for jobs and you get the odd interview here and there. But um, obviously, your face don't fit, which is uh, disappointing. But you just have to you have to keep plugging away because you know you know where you want to be, but you know it's going to be hard work to get there. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, just just sort of get, getting back to I suppose getting close to wrapping it up. We got obviously a big game tonight. Um, wh- wh- how do you see it playing? I mean, I know we've had some again stop start, put some really good performances, then sort of. Not up, up for me. Cov was was shocking. I thought it was poor. Um, where where, where I, do you, where do you think? I didn't think Cov was that bad. To be fair, I don't. I, I thought second half we played a little bit more. And you, the Blues fans were we played a little bit more one dimensional, went a bit longer, and we created things from doing it. Never looked like conceding second half. Don't get me no. wrong, Cov never 
never came out to try that they was happy with their point but I think we've just got to play we're, we're not a side that are gonna and I'd like to, I like seeing it so I'm not saying get 50 passes in our own half and try and play but get it out play through the lines keep the keep the game simple if you have to get it out of your feet you have to put it into a channel do that play the right ball not the not the not the wrong one and I think too many times when there's too much turnover in what we do because we're um We've got no real identity at the moment. We've either, you've either got to be one or the other, you know. And yeah. I, I think Blues, for Blues at this moment in time, it's I think he's he's struggling to to get the way that he wants to play over to the players because I don't think they're quite to the level what he what he expects. So what do you do? Do you give him that little bit more time to to bring in the players that he wants, um, or do you go and get a manager that wants to play the way that the players that we've got in are going to? Yeah. Are going to play, so yeah, it's um, listen, we've, I think we'll stay up this year. I, I don't think we'll go and get relegated. I think there's there's three worse teams in Blues, but over the next couple of years, it's a real rebuilding project for for someone. And if Crank is the man, then we'll uh, we'll have to trust him to go and do what he's uh, go, go and do what he's got to do. And he's done it at Hull, so I can't see why he, he can't do it at Blues. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I think just quickly from me, quick fire question: Who would you say has been your player of the season for Blues so far? Um, probably Bella. Maybe mm. you know he's, he's he's probably the most creative person we've got. Um, no, it, it, I'd say Bella going forward defensively, George Friend by a million miles. You know yeah. he's filled in, uh, in both positions, the centre half and, and at full back. Um, and I think he brings that sort of leadership, the leadership qualities to to the side as well. And I think the the lads trust him. So yeah. I'd, say, I'd probably say George Friend would be the player of the so far, but um, Bella from a from a creative point of view, he's the one that sort of looks to to go down the side of people, bit of pace, bit of energy, and um, yeah, he's been creating most of our opportunities in recent weeks. Yeah. And what, one last one from me, and you can't have uh, Dugarry because I think it's 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 unfair and it's cheating. If you could <laughs> teleport one of the one of the players from, I guess that those real halcyon days when you played for Blues, just one player that you could drop into that side that we, that's going to be playing at Wickham, who would you chuck in there and why? Um, yourself. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't. I think as a as a back four, I don't think we're that bad. I don't think I'd. You, you put Martin Granger in there, but George Friend. I'm not saying he's as good as what Grange is because Grange is a ledge, you know. But yeah, you, you put George Friend does a good job at left back. If you put me or maybe Michael Johnson at centre half, I think Harley Dean does just as good a job, you know. So I think I, I did. I totally disagree, <laughs> <laughs> mate. Get your boots on. Get your boots on and get out to Wickham. I'm just. Back four, I don't think we... You look at us at the start of the season, we wasn't conceding any goals. We were hard to beat. Um, so, it has to be in the... It has to be forward areas, I think. And um, I'd, I'd say I'd probably Stan Lazaridis, I think. Yeah. I love... Right I love okay. Play Stan... Put Stan on the left-hand side, Bella on the right. Stick Djukovic and, and Scotty Hogan in the middle up there. And I think, we're, I think we'd be all right. That sounds, that sounds brilliant to me. Darren, thank you so much. That has been really, really good. And I'm sure that all the Blues fans that are listening to that will will sort of be, love that sort of our reminiscing when we were, you know, really going places and you were absolutely, uh, you know, 
front and centre of that. So more the fans, you know, thank you for your, your service over 200 games. And you never know, there's lots of uh, managerial changes at Blue. So, you know, if there's one club you want to manage, I think there'll be plenty of opportunities. So who knows? But um, thank you for your time. From yeah. my point of view, thanks, thanks for your time as well. Thanks for letting me have a, a platform to speak to everybody. But yeah, thanks to all the Blues fans for all their support over the years. They've been, they've been superb and a, and a massive part of my career. So thanks for everything. Podcast Network. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Kind of like choosing Derek Jeter as the pinch hitter for your baseball team. Jeter, you're in. We need a home run. I'll give it a try. I've swung a bat once or twice. That's out of here. Yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around, you've got your McNugget share box ready to go, your mates are already booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.